so what, what I'm doing now and I'm super excited about now is working with the female founders to help them realize the wealth that's in their businesses. Mm. When you're a service-based business and you're selling your time, you might not realize that they're real assets there. Welcome to Diversity Dish, where we're dishing on everything diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice related. My name is Sidrola Maruska, and we're bridging the gap between what needs to be said and what needs to be heard. Those individual experiences that are often ignored or simply dismissed. Sometimes I'm dining alone. Sometimes I'm dining with friends. And sometimes I'm dining a la carte. No matter how I'm dining, it promises to be delicious. Let's dig in. Erin Austin is a consultant and lawyer who combines her 25 plus years of practicing law, including roles as COO and general counsel at IP-driven companies, to help the founders of expertise-based firms build and protect saleable assets so that the business is ready to sell when the founder is ready to exit. Erin's special talent is finding the Rembrandt in the attic, that hidden or overlooked asset that can be leveraged for maximum value. Welcome back to Diversity Dish. My name is Sidrola Maruska. I am your host. And today my guest is Erin Austin. How are you, Erin? I am fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so happy to have you on because as we were talking before we got on live, we're going to be talking about something that that is very near and dear to both of our hearts and very important for the society at large. And that's just exactly what I love to have on Diversity Dish. So I'm thrilled to have you here. So, but before we get into all of that conversation, I would love for you to answer this question for me. What is it? that you are most passionate about right now? Uh, I am most passionate about creating an economy that works for all of us. Uh, If there is one thing that the last, I guess, six years has told us, if we didn't know before, and some of us didn't, (laughs) is the outsized influence that uh, economic factors and wealth have on our democracy and particip- full participation in our democracy, frankly, requires a measure of economic prosperity. So mm-hmm. spreading that around is what I'm very passionate about. Absolutely. And when you say that there needs to be a certain amount of economic prosperity when we're talking about engaging in our democratic process, what do you mean by that exactly? I would love for you to kind of spell that out for our listeners. It goes everywhere from, let's say at the most basic level of having time to vote. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I have done voter uh, protection at every single election for the last 20 something years. And I've done it at, in suburban areas, I've done it in rural areas, I've done it in urban areas. And I will tell you that there is a difference in the ability to participate depending on where you live. It's mm-hmm. not, we don't all have the same voting rights. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so I happen to live in a place where I get to walk in and vote in five minutes. I have worked at polling places where people waited in line for three hours to vote. Mm-hmm. 
And, uh, and so it, 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 so from there, from just being able to vote Mm -hmm. depends on where you live and what access you have to who gets, who listens to who in power listens to what you have to say. Mm. So all the way to the top about who has access to people in power. So there, there literally isn't any part of our, the way we experience democracy that isn't influenced by our economic status. Right. There isn't a part that is not influenced by economic status. That is so true. So it always blows my mind. Like when I hear people say, well, I really don't want to make a lot of money, but I want to affect change. And I think to myself, I'm like, well, affecting change means being able to invest in those things that are most important to you. Correct. So how can you think that you're just barely getting by and you're going to be able to affect great change? That is kind of the question. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, everywhere from, you know, being able to volunteer your time, what you can do for your family, you know, one of the biggest impacts that we have is just in our, inside of our homes, right? And what can we give to our family? How do we help them level up? So the next generation has things that perhaps we didn't have, that they have opportunities that we didn't have, that they can bypass some of the struggles and some of the obstacles. And so these are all ways that we can make impact. It's not just about you know, changing you know, society at large. It could be just about changing the trajectory of one person who is in your immediate orbit. So yeah, I, I hope that people don't, you know, I think that there may be kind of a, stigma is a weird way to put it, but maybe a stigma about wanting to make money, like that somehow it's greedy and it's dirty um, because we have these negative associations with people who abuse their power. Um, You know, obviously in the news, as we record this, you know, the issues of Facebook are all over the place. And so people may think, you know, there's some people who think capitalism is evil, but at the end of the day, you know, having resources is the only way we can really kind of influence our, our immediate world and the greater world. Right. Looking around and saying, this needs to happen and understanding that in order for this thing that you think needs to happen to happen, there needs to be some investment in that thing that needs to happen in order to make change. So when, you know, kind of circling back a little bit when you're talking about access for uh, voting and voting rights and how voting rights are not equal across all neighborhoods, you know, and then people wondering why so many people are anxious or angry about the added restrictions that are being put on voting rights. It's because, of course, voting rights are not equal in all communities. You know, some people have to drive hours to get to their their polling place only to stand for another few hours and they don't have the jobs that allow them to do that sort of thing, right? Right. And it can be really, can be a deterrent. I recall, and I'm pretty sure it was the first Obama election. I could be wrong, could have been the second one, but I was um, doing voter uh, protection at a precinct that was a majority black precinct, but like so many, especially in Virginia, the 
polling places are controlled by Republicans. I don't, I don't know how they managed it, but they managed this. And, so interesting. And they only had, again, you know, I had a polling place where, where I live in kind of a rural area where we had the the ballots that you kind of filled in the little circles and then you put it, ran it through a machine. So it took like 10 seconds, like 20 people could vote at a time. And at this polling place where I was um, volunteering, they had the electronic ones. They had, so only, and they had two machines. So only two people could vote at a time. And so, and they had these lines and people, by the time they got in, they would say to me, because there'd be, you know, these white people at the little thing and then I was there and they're like, I know what they're trying to do. I was going to stay in this line no matter what I had to do, I was going to vote. But think about the sacrifice they had to make to cast that vote. They yeah. had to miss a day of work to cast that vote and that yeah. should never happen. Right. And it could possibly very well have been a, 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 a day of pay, a full day of pay because they yes. didn't have those hours to be able to go and stand in that line, but they still sacrificed it. We often like to talk about the sacrifices that people made back in the day you know, in the 60s or the 50s, as if it were that far away. But we, we talk about that without realizing that even today, every time we go to vote, people are making sacrifices in order to have their voices heard. And people are still going, well, my voice doesn't matter. So then they don't vote. And now the burden is on those who actually do go out and make those sacrifices to vote. Yeah, and it is, it is hard. It's hard for me to ask someone to miss a day of work. I mean, that's yeah. really unfair of me. Um, but, you know, so that's why it's so important to, you know, not just, I mean, one of the things I like to, you know, I devote my time to is, is protecting voting rights. But with, you know, increasing the economic prosperity of people, you give them choices. Right. Right. And, and, you know, not just with, you know, voting, but, you know, the ability to go to work, to go to school, to, you know, to access to health care. I mean, it just yeah. you know, the way things operate in this country. It's kind of crazy that, you know, you need to have a degree of uh, wealth just to get health care, which should just be a basic right. So, uh, yeah, I know. That's what I, that's what I'm here to do. Get you started. You riled me up. Yeah, We're supposed to get started. You know, I mean, it's, and it's the truth. It is so true. Right. And I say to people all the time, especially being um, an equity and inclusion consultant and coach, I say, you know, this, this disparity, which is born of racism is woven into the fabric, which means there is not one string that you can pull that will not take you to a place where you're going to run into the racism or the disparities or mm -hmm. the oppression that takes place within this right. country. Right. Not Absolutely. one. Yeah. So when we, right before we started talking, we, we were talking about wealth and we were talking about wealth in the hands of women and why that is so important. So I want you to help us understand because I probably can say it and people don't hear it, but you might say it and the same person would go, oh my goodness, she's, <laughs> I, heard, I heard this, Aaron. Oh. Hi, my name is Sedrola Maruska and I'm a leadership coach. 
I give business leaders the confidence and tools to have conversations about equity and inclusion to improve culture, increase productivity, and decrease attrition. All this I do through my Leader Builder Coaching Program. If you'd like to know more, please go to diversitydish.com. <laughs> well, I'll say, you know, I think I thought it intuitively, but then I, you know, did the research and the research does show that women give more, they give more often, and they give a larger percentage of what they have. And so even though men make more, we know that there's an income disparity as well as wealth disparity, the greater percentage of all wealth is given by women than given by men. And so for me, like if I want to, you know, I have these things that I care about that I can use my own income to, to and my own time to volunteer and to give to, to contribute to. But if I use what I know to help more women create more wealth, then I'm multiplying, you know, the impact that I'm having. And so, um, you know, research shows that, you know, we volunteer more. We, when we make investment decisions, we care more about that the companies are doing the right thing. The right thing. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and, and we, you know, we were willing to sacrifice on behalf of things that we care about in ways that men don't. And, you know, if I'm knocking men a little bit, men, you know. but, you know, this is what the research shows. And that's, you know, we're wired differently. At the end of the day, we are wired a little bit differently. And so that nurturing piece in us extends to the way we handle our wealth. It, yes, absolutely. And I, and I know that to be true as well. And, but I also know, um, and like you touched upon, you said that we may make less than men, but we still, a greater portion of what we make, we do put back out there. And yeah. we're not just talking about donations. We're not just talking about, you know, investing in outside projects. We're even talking about in the home. Yeah. Taking right? care of our parents, taking care of, you know, siblings. I mean, all that. I mean, we do that in ways, in, in greater numbers and, and greater dollars than, than men do. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, if I think about my own house or my own household, my husband will be more inclined. He'll buy, he'll do groceries. Um, he'll be more inclined to buy the kids stuff that is not necessarily pertinent to our survival. <laughs> <laughs> He's the fun, the fun parent is what you're saying. <laughs> right. I'm like, you can't go shopping with daddy anymore. <laughs> Whereas I'm often thinking about what it is that we need. Okay. We need toilet paper. We need paper towels. We need we need more sheets. We need more mm -hmm. towels. We need more mm -hmm. pots, pans. We need, you know, there are things that we need within mm -hmm. the household that kind of keep things going, but that aren't, mm -hmm. you know, sexy or fun or fancy mm -hmm. or what have you, but they're just things that are necessary. And, you know, there are times when, uh, of course, he'll pick up toilet paper, he'll pick up paper towels, but there are times when I'll come home with, with, with towels and he'll be like, why do we need more towels? Well, why don't you go smell the ones that we have and we'll see how we win. <laughs> it's amazing how they just don't notice these things. <laughs> right. And so it's kind of, I mean, it's that way. And 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 then that kind of thing kind of 
goes outward. It expands outward, yeah. mm-hmm. right? So tell us a little bit about what it is that you do and how you do it. And most importantly, why you do it. Although I think you've already touched on that, but you can reiterate. Yeah, yeah. So I work with the female founders of uh, B2B services, service-based businesses. And I came to this, I've spent a career uh, working with big companies in the intellectual property space. And so, um, and I kind of happily went along with it. Um, it was easy and I had my clients and, and, uh, and was raising a child who's now 15. And, uh, and then along came a certain president whose last name is Trump. And I, you know, kind of, I, I, you know, and I was like, ah, and I'm like, how do we, and, and in fact, I was inspired by something that Michelle Obama said when she said, when they go low, we go high. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, how can I go high? Like, how can I stop just using what I know just to make rich people richer? How, and, and, but it was a real challenge for me. I mean, we know that it's now been, you know, four years, five years for me to figure out how to use my big company experience to help a broader number of people. And during that journey, you know, I was advised, well, maybe, you know, you don't use you don't learn earn a living that way. You earn a living the way you always have earned a living. And then you continue to give and continue to volunteer and you mm-hmm. still make your impact that you want to make. Mm-hmm. And okay. And, um, but then I just knew that I really wanted to figure out a way to, to more directly impact the people that I care about. And so what, what I'm doing now, and I'm super excited about now is working with the female founders to help them realize the wealth that's in their businesses. Mm-hmm. When you're a service-based business, and you're selling your time, you might not realize that they're real assets there. You know, if all you're doing is selling your time, well, what happens when you stop working? Is there still a business there that you can sell? And honestly, the best way to make create wealth, generational wealth is through business ownership. We know ownership is the key to wealth, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's real estate or stocks or uh, a business, ownership, is the key to wealth. Mm-hmm. And for many of us who or who are entrepreneurs, our business is the most valuable thing that we own. Mm-hmm. And so we need to make sure that we protect it. And so I help the female founders do that, identify the assets, protect those assets, and build a business that could be sold someday and therefore create wealth for themselves and for their families. I love it. Wow, I, I, I need to talk to you offline. <laughs> but, and so, yeah, that covers your why and that covers exactly what you do. And how long have you been doing this? You said about five. Well, so. well I've, been, I've been working on the transition. I'm okay. still, I am a lawyer. That is, you know, mm-hmm. I am a lawyer. And mm-hmm. so now what I also do is work specifically with these female entrepreneurs to help them it's more strategic. So mm-hmm. we're not just, yes, I still do contracts, but I also make sure that we are identifying those assets, protecting them, working on the business model. If their business model is filling by the hour, that's not going to do it. We work on that business app, uh, model to make sure that there's leverage built into the business, meaning that the, the business can run without them. And, and, uh, and then also um, working on their positioning. 
like many service providers, if they're generalists, and, and I tend to work with consultants who are generalists, and it is very hard to, to break out of the noise when you kind of do all things for all clients. And right. so, and uh, your positioning, a strong positioning is actually a valuable asset and something that a buyer would be interested in. If you are like the go-to person in, you know, whatever field you're in and you got to make, and you just got to find that niche so that you're the number one person, like where, where is it? It's not, right. you know, I'm a graphic designer. It's not, I'm a graphic designer for websites. It's not, I'm a graphic, you know, it's maybe it's like, I'm a graphic designer for, you know, tailors. I don't know, whatever, you know, so right. get, whatever it is, you get to that spot where you are the go-to person. And so that's what we work on as well. And, and developing frameworks, like a lot of the stuff that we do, it's in our brain, we can do it, we know it, but we haven't like formalized it in a way that we can teach other people to do it, that we could delegate it, that we could create products from it. And so these are all things that we work on to make sure that we're building assets in our business. When you engage with someone, what is the main thing that you find that is, is holding them, keeping them back from being able to to do all those things that you said. So do they embrace it right away or do they go, well, 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 and what are some of those things that are the, the well, the well parts? Well, well, one <laughs> is <laughs> that they never thought about selling their business at all. They never want, well, either they never thought about it because they didn't think it was possible that service-based businesses don't get acquired or they, they started it as a passion and they couldn't possibly sell their baby, right? <laughs> right? Or I'm not even thinking about retirement because they re equate selling your business with retirement. Right. And so just starting with the last one, you know, exiting your business does not mean retirement. It just means next chapter. Right. So it could be. And so whatever that next chapter is, if you have sold a business and then have the funds from that, then you have a well-funded next chapter as opposed to a, a, a you know starting from scratch. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so and when let's talk about you know it's my baby, I could never sell it. Well, one way or another, we all are going to exit our businesses, right? Period, right. Mm -hmm. And so if we if we develop a business that can continue without us, we then the purpose or the passion continues, right? So if you have employees that you love, doing work that you love, for clients that you love, if you have a business that can be sold when, when it's time for you to exit, then you know that those employees will continue to be taken care of and that important work will continue to be done and those clients will continue to be taken care of. Mm -hmm. And so thinking about your exit is kind of, you know, the way when we prepare our children to leave the nest, we should also prepare our business to leave the nest as well. Mm -hmm. And the first one was, oh, not thinking that businesses can even, service-based business can't be sold. Here's the thing. They are harder to sell than a products business. And the reason they're harder to sell is because people are not building assets into them. And so if you're not thinking about uh, the asset aspect, then you're right. You will not have a business that can be sold. Yes. Right. So space businesses are acquired. So when you talk about assets, what type of assets are you talking about? So I'm talking about intellectual assets and mm -hmm. I'll use the term intellectual property only briefly, only because that's one 
a subset of the assets that I'm talking about. So intellectual property are, are you know, your copyrights, your trademarks, your patents, and your trade secrets. But those are fairly narrow category of assets. So we can have uh, things in our business that may not fall into those categories. We may have you know, standard operating procedures. We may have you know, an email list or community. Um, we may have some you know, industry insights. If we've been in a business, an area for you know, 10 years, like you know things about the industry that nobody else knows. Right. You know, and figuring out how to like, harness those in a way that could be valuable to a third party are the types of assets that we kind of dig in and see what you got. Right. Things that we really, I, you know, I, when, as you're saying them, I'm thinking to myself, oh, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, because you know, I think people think of assets or the things that they sell to the client. Right. So like but a lot of them, yeah. yeah, but, and a lot of them are in a service-based business, the assets are the way we produce results. Right. So they're internal assets. Right. I, I call them internal assets. You know, the framework that we use, the resources that we use, the, the library that we have, the right. framework that we have, you know, those are, those are all assets. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So a lot of women, because you said that you work with females, women are sitting on assets that they have no idea that they're sitting on. And they probably should take a look at these assets because if they do want to affect change in this world, they need to have that income flow in order to make the change that they want to make. I mean, one thing I'd like to say is, you know, the things that you do that would create value in the event of a sale are the same things that will create value for you while you're still operating your business. So while you're operating your business, you know, leveraging, identifying and leveraging these assets will help you create scale in your business, meaning increased profitability. And those are the same things, of course, that would be valuable uh, when you're ready to exit. Wow. So I know you've told us a little bit about when you started and the I think maybe I missed the part where you, what, what the catalyst was like, what was it that you just said, you know what, <laughs> I, I really need to go and, and, and just do this thing. Uh, well, you know, it evolved, honestly. I wish okay. I could say there was a moment because okay. like trying again, like trying to figure out like, how do I translate what I know do. and do like every, you know, we've been doing for like, every day for the last 20 years to this other thing took some time, you know, mm -hmm. and it was an education process for me and my audience because I did start talking about things like intellectual capital and people were like, what? And so, <laughs> so I'm like, okay, let me start talking about, you know, and until I started talking about assets and then, cause everyone gets assets and everyone knows they want assets mm -hmm. and that they know that they're the key to, you know, value creation. So once I kind of uh, started talking about assets, then kind of things all clicked. So, but, you know, but the, the catalyst for wanting to make that transition from the big company work to a broader scope was, was definitely just really recognizing the need to have, a, you know, more participation, meaningful participation economically in our democracy. That's kind of really what it was. Yes, absolutely. Well, I, you know, I completely agree with you when, when it comes to 
figuring out what your assets are, doing what you need to do and, you know, and, and, and getting that out there, making the money so that you can make the change in this world that you want to, to make. Um, what do you say to people or what can, what can anyone say to someone who says, I don't want to make a lot of money? <laughs> Because they have what you described before, if we if we kind of roll back, they have these stigmas that are attached to money and it, and it can come from a lot of different places, right? That, that, that stigma that gets stuck in the brain. So what do you say to, to, to those people? Well, I mean, I would ask them to think about like, what is the, what's the world that you would like to see, you know? And what, how could you, how could money help you achieve what you want to see, whether it's, you know, a a park in your neighborhood or, you know, you know, another assistant at your kid's school or helping to get rid of, you know, kind of some environmental pollution in, you know, the, the back, your backyard. Mm -hmm. So all, you know, money is necessary in a capitalist economy it it mm-hmm. is it, it's all built around that everything you know how your kids are educated your health care you know the, the the state of your roads you know I mean like you know the air that you breathe like it's all the food that you have access to it all revolves around money and and it doesn't make you you know I mean I do believe in you know measuring the cost of money against the value of life. I mean, life, quality of life should never come behind money. Right. right. So, mm-hmm. but to, to say that I don't want money because you feel that it's, it's a, a, an evil somehow, I would encourage you to think about all the good things that you could do. You hear sometimes it's like, oh, money is the root of all evil. I think so, so many people have grown up with that idea or that thought mm-hmm. uh, without having had the backstory to where that came from. Right, <laughs> right? yeah. <laughs> because I actually don't know where that comes from. If you I, don't, don't, I don't either. I don't, know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where it comes from, but it is something that is reiterated generation mm-hmm. and generation over mm-hmm. and over you know, money is the root of all evil, but how can money be the root of all evil if money is also the thing that you need to do good in this world, right? right. And so I often think also to myself that the person that I am, who who I am, and the ideas, the things that, that are passionate, that I'm passionate about right now, are those things going to change instantly the moment that I make a whole lot of money? Mm-hmm. So now I'm going to become something that I am not, And, you know, I think people have to also consider that. I think they think I don't want money because I don't want to be like, like, I don't know, quote unquote, those people, or I don't want to be that people use money so badly and people take money from other people. And then I think to myself, well, is that the person that you are? And do you think that that's what's going to be? Because I think that the more money you have, the more magnified person, your person is more magnified. Right. right. You become more you. You don't change. You just. Right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right. So maybe it's that they know something that we don't. And they don't. <laughs> <laughs> but you made a good point about peer groups. And it could be that if you don't have 
a peer group that is in the, you know, in a different economic status. Yes. Like it may seem like almost like losing who you are, like to, to change. And, and that's not a small thing to consider. Um, to right. make sure that you have that a peer group when you, when you change, you know, if you. Yes, you know. it is. It's not a small thing. And it's, yeah. you know, it's very interesting. And you say that it kind of, it triggered my memory from this morning. I did a meditation and my meditation is about getting rid of a scarcity mindset. Right. And in this lesson, because it's kind of a 30 day thing, but in this lesson, the instructor was talking about how there are things that we need to let go of. There may be people and things that we need to let go of in order to not be around and not maintain a scarcity mindset. Mm -hmm. And I think that that may be part of, of that, right? We know that if we get to a certain level, we may need to have less contact with some of the people in our lives because we're very aware that they may not be entirely excited for us. They may even try to sabotage us. And they may be that the people that we have a weakness for. And so therefore we kind of go back to the ways that we had before. And so it's important in, to as you're gaining this wealth or as you're you're preparing to package your assets to sell them so that you can move to the next chapter that that be a consideration as well that you connect with people who are maybe where you want to be a little bit higher than where you want to be so that you can go Hey, <laughs> All right, coming with you. <laughs> right. Especially if you're a solopreneur, you know, I am in a number of kind of masterminds or group coaching programs where afterwards there'll be, you know, kind of a, some sort of, you know, Facebook group or Slack channel or something around the people, the participants and a lot of the women, all, all women mostly. And, um, and the women really kind of feel like they don't have kind of a peer group among, you know, their personal contacts. And so having part of those masterminds or group groups are so important to them to, you know, help them one to bounce ideas off of like literally just, you know, business ideas, but also to kind of feel like, you know, it's, it's okay to, you know, think about business and, to, you know, want things and to go for things, you know, and it gives them permission to kind of, you know, be business driven. Right. Mm -hmm. And isn't it interesting? I think that as women, we need permission or we feel that we need mm -hmm. permission yeah. for true. so many things. Whereas men, they just like, I'm going to just go do that and I'll see what happens. And don't you need to ask, who do I need to ask? I don't need to ask anybody. <laughs> that is so true. That is so true. Yeah. It really is, isn't it? I I remember I was watching I was watching a YouTube video, and this woman was talking about selling, and she was she said, so a man creates a widget, right? He creates a widget, and he looks at the widget and he goes, you know, that's a pretty cool widget. I think I should sell it. And so mm -hmm. he goes to someone and he goes, hey, look at my widget. 
And the person goes, hey, that's pretty cool. He says, here, you want to buy it? And the guy says, yes. He's like, okay, well, it costs this much. And the guy says, okay. And they sell it and that's it. <laughs> a woman will create a widget. And we're talking about our assets now. So we'll create our assets and we'll go, wow, that's a pretty good asset. And then you say, hmm, but well, and then we start thinking about it. Well, I don't know. It, it doesn't seem to have the right number of sentences. <laughs> or there aren't enough there aren't enough quotes in here wait a minute we need to have more we need to have more social proof and oh wait you know what i think i'm going to play with the color i mean mm -hmm. we find everything we can mm -hmm. to create a perfect widget and then and then mm -hmm. when we've gone through all of those iterations we go mm -hmm. to someone and we say look at my widget and the person says oh, that's a pretty cool widget. And before they can tell us how much they want to buy it for, we're like, you know, I can discount it for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that is so true. You know, you're, you're reminded, it's sort of reminded me when I think about like all the business coaches, you know, like that I either follow on podcasts or read their, you know, on their email newsletter list. And so much of the work when they work with women is about mindset. And I'm thinking like, do the men, I don't think they're talking about mindset. I don't think, you know, right. they're just talking about, you know, tactics and, and things, but yeah, we're all talking about mindset and make sure. Yeah. We are, you know, you said our lights and yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> you said it early on, we're wired differently. Yeah. And yeah. we kind of have to understand how our wiring works. And sometimes how our wiring gets in the way, how it trips us up. Yes. And we have to say, you know what, that's not working for me. I need to, I need to pull back and I need to do more of this over here. I need to be able to say, this widget is great. I'm going to sell it right now. And if I want to make any changes, I'll make them along the way while we're going. We'll just, right. It's kind of like jump out. We'll build the parachute on our way down. Right, right. <laughs> Sometimes we have to do that. Absolutely, we do. And, uh, you know, and it reminds me, like, you know, part of, you know, me entering the, you know, kind of exit strategy, exit planning space is the, is the way that women think about, you know, their businesses is sometimes different from the way men think about their businesses. I've used the analogy of, like, the birth parent versus the foster parent. It's not a perfect analogy. But, you know, when a lot of times when men build businesses, they are explicitly thinking about the exit from the moment, moment. They, they create it, right? And they're trying to maximize value. They want to get the highest multiple. They want to blah, 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 right? That's what they're thinking about. And women are thinking about, you know, the impact and, you know, the work and the whole thing. And, uh, and so, you know, making the, you know, distinction, like even if you're a birth parent, and you are in love with your business, like we still need to like go through the phases of growth and preparing to let go. And then, you know, having a plan for, for afterwards and for that empty nest. And when you are ready for that empty nest, when you have an idea of what the next chapter will be, then it becomes a very happy thing, you know, to move on mm -hmm. to the next um, versus, you know, the, 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 the foster parent who always knows that the child will be gone. So yeah, so that's, I've been leaning yeah. into to that analogy and some of the writing that I've been doing lately because, because women do, it's a much more emotional 
experience for women sometimes. Right. It's a better business that, than it is for men. So addressing, addressing that issue. Yeah. I can see so much of what you say and I can definitely, and I, and I totally understand how your services are needed. You need to, <laughs> to shake us up a little bit, be like, look, you have something of value. It's like when you're talking to people. So I'm, I'm working on a group coaching program right now where it's more, it's geared toward social justice. So my, my idea is that each one of us, we, we look at social justice as if it's this huge looming thing that nobody has any way to affect change mm-hmm. in. And so we get complacent, we get, we get overwhelmed. But <clears throat> my idea is that each one of us has strengths and we have passions. And, and like I said before, we have that, that, that string that's woven through the whole fabric. So it doesn't matter where your passion lies. There is a place for social justice work within your passion. And, and it's all about getting people to understand the power that they hold singularly. It goes back to when we're talking about the voting. People will sacrifice to do this because they know that they do have power. And other people will say, I don't have any power. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bother with that. You know, it's just a matter of understanding what power you have. And so it's the same also with the service-based business. It's understanding that that thing that you do naturally and that you take for granted, other people do not do as naturally as you do. And they could really use your help or your insight or your, your direction in that thing. So Mm -hmm. what is that thing, right? What is, what is it that you do that no one else can do like you. Absolutely. Yeah. And even, I mean, one is absolutely your expertise, but just from an kind of administrative point of view, if social justice is your aim, think about the benefits that you can provide to your employees. Like you're, you're creating jobs. Let's say, yes. you know, you're giving them flexible schedules. You're, you know, organizing, you know, volunteer activities with them. You're making right. sure they, you know, have a living wage or, have, you know, all, you know, all the right. things the, that the, we want to see, of, like we can yeah. do that. Yeah, right. right, exactly. Mm-hmm. That you can create, you know, what is it? You know, you can put into the world that thing that you wanted or that you've mm-hmm. always wanted and that you didn't see. And so now you can say, you know what? This is the kind of work environment I would want to work in. Right. I mm-hmm. would want to have all those things that you just mentioned mm-hmm. and more mm-hmm. and create that environment and be equitable out. Right. That right there is huge right. right and so we don't have to look at this huge looming cloud just look at where you are right, right. what are you mm-hmm. teaching your children what are you doing at home what are you saying you know what what are the words that are coming out of your mouth yes. <laughs> and do your actions support them <laughs> and do your actions support exactly and so it's kind of like to do that you know create the change and you know it all takes a certain level of financial privilege in order to, to work, right? People shy away from privilege. Look, there are all kinds of privilege and money is one of them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's only one, right? I mean, when you start talking about privilege, I think people think that it is only money that you're talking about. And it's like, no, 
no, we got to, we got to break this down a little bit more, you know, but we do want to have that. So tell us where people can find you to work with you so that they can, you know, create their exit strategy. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, I hang out on LinkedIn a lot. I am Erin Austin on LinkedIn and my website is thinkbeyondip.com. And if you go there, you can sign up uh, for my email newsletter. And also there are a number of freebies on there. Uh, In addition to my, is there a Rembrandt in your attic worksheet? And basically that is um, helping you to see like what hidden underutilized assets may be in your business. And it helps walk you through the process of thinking about all the things that are actually you do and produce in your business that may be uh, uh, an asset. So it's kind of like, you know, the asset, the antiques roadshow type of right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So how much is this worth? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Nice. Well, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything that I, that we may not have touched on today that you would like to have had brought forth? Well, I mean, I, I just want to, um, kind of let people know that they don't need to be afraid of the process. It really isn't scary. And, uh, and once you kind of just start thinking about, because these are all things you already have in your business. You start thinking about them a little bit differently. You'll see them every, you'll see assets everywhere. They are everywhere. So <laughs> really just take the time to kind of see with a new lens. And, and I think it will be become very second nature and comfortable. Start thinking right. About. just to kind of shift that mindset and yes yeah it's like when you decide you want to buy a specific type of car and now all of a sudden it's everywhere that's exactly right right. that is exactly (laughs) right (laughs) awesome well before we let you go I have to ask you my final question that I know everybody's dying to hear and that is what is your favorite dish Austin I mean Erin that's okay so long as it's not something that I because I, 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 sadly, my mother's and everyone's around me's uh, talent skipped me. I, but speaking of my mother, she made the best sweet potato pie in the world. And so absolutely sweet potato pie, anything, or also her baked sweet potato so much sugar, butter, and goodness. Sugar, <laughs> and butter, no, and goodness. But yeah, there's just, yeah. That's that goodness that is probably love, right? <laughs> yes. Sugar, butter, and goodness mixed with love. There you go. I love it. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here with me, Erin. It has been such a pleasure. And I am really excited about the women who are going to reach out to you and go, tell me, show me, help me see, so that they can, you know, make the money that they need to make so that we can make an impact in this world. Yes. Love it. Yes. It's been wonderful to be here with you. Thank you. Hey, did you enjoy that episode? If so, please leave a review. It would mean the world, but only if it's a good one and you really did enjoy it. In which case, it would be awesome if you help support my work over at patreon.com backslash Cedrola Maruska. And finally, before you go, 
Don't forget, diversitydish.com. I'd love to work with you. See you soon.